Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, Alicia. Glad to be here. <laughs> How are you? How are things? Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Cool. Um, I would say sleep is not easy to come by these days, <laughs> but I'm happy to report that I got my first vaccination last week. Nice. As, yeah. a, as a food service worker? Uh, as, as many things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, I'm, I'm, really, right. I'm glad that New York is, is moving along. Yes, they're moving things along and that's very nice to see. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is awkward. I'm sorry that I said anything because I do see people online being like, I got vaccinated and then people are like, how? How did you do it? <laughs> also persistence. Right, right. Absolutely. refreshing. No, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, everybody needs to get vaccinated who really cares how they go about it like mm -hmm. it's we just need to to freaking do it um but i'm happy to hear that you're you're on the road to immunity mm -hmm. <laughs> i wish that we yeah we were it, it's going a lot slower here but i'm i'm happy new york is on the mend um yeah. yeah uh can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate sure I grew up in Hercules, California. It's a small Bay Area town on the coast of San Pablo Bay. Um, I read some history recently because I'm starting to write a little bit about this little town. And it used to be a dynamite factory in the 1800s. Uh, so it had a, a key part in, in a lot of uh, gold rushing, I think. <laughs> um, that's wild. I know. Um, it was a lovely little town, and my grandparents, aunts, and uncles all lived within 20 miles uh, in El Sobrante, California. And what I ate as a child is very different from what was available and around. My folks right. loved food. Uh, my grandma had a bustling garden full of fruits and vegetables. I liked carrots because they were good for your eyes, and my eyes were going at a very young age. <laughs> I'm not sure how much credence to give to that, but carrots yeah. all the time. Uh, fruit snacks and McDonald's. Wow. <laughs> I know. Like, I had every birthday up until I was eight years old at a McDonald's. They had the best playground. They even had like a program for birthdays, you know, a whole activity day. I wish I had a photo of it because there, there's this purple character, Grimace. You remember, mm -hmm. you remember I Grimace? Remember him. Yeah. Um, but in the playground, there was a jiggly, uh, uh, sort of thing that you stepped into. It had prison bars as a tummy. Oh my gosh. And if I only knew then that, <laughs> you know, fast food is a prison. Right. Uh, you just, it's smiling and holding the bars. That's kind of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so I was picky and, yeah. and really into the things that I saw on television. I was commonly sitting at the dinner table with my arms crossed, pouting, getting yelled at uh, about never finishing my plate. So there, there's a word for this in Tagalog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm Filipino-American, and there's a word, taco mata, which means uh, my eyes are too big for my stomach, <laughs> or I am some kind of ungrateful American. Uh, <laughs> so mealtimes were not something that I looked forward to. I drank a lot of soda. I was severely underweight uh, through most of my life. Um, but I, I have this experience that I'm noticing among uh, first generation Asian Americans is, is that we're sort of stumbling through our, our own personal histories and trying mm -hmm. to connect back to it. I call it my, my great cultural backpedaling. <laughs> I, I sort of revel these days in, in, in 
authenticity. Uh, and I'm not really one person to define the food of the Philippines uh, just because my family is from there. Uh, I'm also from California and have lived in New York for 15 years. Right. So uh, I would say that the palate has widened since childhood, <laughs> but it continues to be a journey now. Right, right. Yeah. And um, how, you know, how does being part of that diaspora reflect in how you cook, if it does? It uh, it's sort of sprinkled in these days. Right. Uh, I I sort of <laughs> fell into I, I had a opposite reaction to all of the fast food and convenience food of my childhood. I thought that you know French cuisine and technique was the way to go, and then I dropped out of culinary school because it wasn't the way for me. I <laughs> I fell in love with Spanish tapas just because I had a small appetite. Uh, but you know, digging into the history of that, it's it's dangerous and and sad and and really intertwined with Philippine culture. And so that's sort of been the crux of my the beginnings of my writing portfolio has been the history of the Philippines mixed with new technique and, and things that uh, we thought were the way to go are not really the way to go. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and how did you even come to focus on food? I know you used to work in, in tech. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got into cooking for others in college through dinner parties. I wasn't much into cooking for myself. In fact, I, I actually mess up a lot of cooking for myself today. Uh, <laughs> when it, Before technology, I was working in the music industry and it was going through a, a paradigm shift as far as promotion goes. I was mm -hmm. one of those people that sent uh, CDs to radio stations and, mm -hmm. and magazines. Uh, when it was shifting from CDs to digital, like people were requesting MP3s over CDs, you were saving on on postage, people were starting to lose their jobs. I was burning out. And to cope with that, I started serving grilled cheese out of my house on Sundays. And it was sort of a good time to quit one industry and jump into another head first. Uh, but as I said before, I did not love culinary school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and working in restaurants, you don't automatically get health insurance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that made me accept a job in technology. I was between kitchen jobs and a friend from music called out of the blue mm -hmm. uh, because I'm a very avid tweeter. <laughs> it, it wasn't a job that had been defined yet. A community manager, a social media manager was very new about a decade and a half ago. And my only question for that person was, do I get health insurance? I didn't really care what the job was. I, I was like, do I get health insurance? And I did. So I worked at a startup under a big film company, Technicolor. I, this is all in TechCrunch. If anybody's curious about it, you can go check it out. But I was using all this newfound money to build out my kitchen because food is something I still cared about. I loved having dinner parties. And so I was starting to buy all those fancy ingredients I could never afford. I got a food processor, I'm making my own hummus all the time. So it really leveled me up uh, in my spare time. But I had zero, zero concept of saving money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had Same. always come from this <laughs> position of scarcity. Yeah. Like it was a very hard lesson uh, after I've left. But my job sat in the middle of social media and curation. The big selling point um, was a big 
human team working with algorithms because algorithms cannot tell you context or narrative. No matter how smart uh, artificial intelligence is, it can read vocabulary, it can tell us search volume and sentiment, but not a complete story. And I thought that was incredibly fascinating and helped me a lot in in the way that I talk about my work and other people's work online. Um, But just shorter story of it is I went through some kind of acquisition. I tried to explore this career seriously, but Mm -hmm. I had no desire to move to upper management. Mm -hmm. Um, My momentum as a chef on the weekend started to pick up. I was pulling doubles um, and eventually I, I just you can't spin that many plates that long. And I I, I made like this really long (laughs) six month plan to leave uh, to start my own catering company. And that's, that's kind of where we were as of 2019, (laughs) (laughs) you know, until everything changed. Right, right. And how have you changed your business model in the pandemic? Oh my goodness. So (laughs) I was slated or was in the middle of negotiating eight weddings as of January last year. Wow. And thankfully, I had already started to freelance Mm -hmm. uh, a couple years before that. And so thanks to a residency at Taste Cooking, I was able to to start my first public pieces about, about food. And I had always dreamed of it. I've always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I was a live journaler. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of my writing has been in my social media posts. It was a matter of stringing it together um, and and really uh, holding on to a thread of an idea. Uh, But I I, I took a strange path into this. (laughs) Uh, So while I was working at that tech company, I was trying to insert more food content into the workflow and responsibilities uh, because I was reading so much news. My job was to surface news. And so if I could surface more food news or be in charge of that specific vertical, it would make me a little bit happier and to to round out the knowledge that I was after all the time. Uh, If there was a chef or a food editor to be interviewed, I jumped at the chance, Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, and if there was a conference my company took me to, I'd be lined for any any food people or even just hovered around the catering people just to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that obsessed. But, you know, I learned about digitally native copywriting and optimization. And uh, I, I learned how to talk about myself online. I don't like to. I don't like writing my bio or, or puffing my chest up. I'm, I'm a food writer now and pushing my glasses up over right. my nose. That's not what I do. <laughs> Um, but I know that a lot of writers are timid about promoting their work. Mm-hmm. And it's not the big lesson for me. It was not about going viral in one moment, but creating a consistent hum and an actual body of work that we can always be referencing whenever there is some kind of opportune moment or moment of, of learning or teaching. Uh, but as far as craft and practice go, I was reading cookbooks before bed, uh, getting my food handler's permit, every event that I catered on the weekend. So, I'm, you know, I'm still working 100% this yeah. whole time. So I'm, I'm doing things on the weekend, burning the candle at both ends. Um, but every event that I did added new equipment to my inventory. I added new people to my staff. Um, it was in a time of my life that I lived for that crunch, the 
productivity crunch. And you'll hear yeah. that term in, in tech and the games industry. Lots of folks are, are speaking now out now about labor practice and preventing crunch. But it was pretty normal for me to work uh, 70, 80 hours a week and still stay up that extra hour to just kind of pursue the the culinary knowledge and, and the craft and writing. And yeah, as I said before, you know, no one can <laughs> last that long. Um, and this is this is an interesting turn, and I don't think people know that this is an option for them. But I asked to go part time at my job for a summer to join an innovation lab. Uh, mm-hmm. So NYU had a program called um, the Innovation Lab, which was under the Interactive Telecommunications Program. And I'm going to keep pushing up my nerd glasses. Like, mm-hmm. what does that have to do? with anything. Um, and that's kind of it and why I was drawn to it. It it did come out of nowhere and I craved some other creative outlet that wasn't food. It was somewhere I could solve problems with my unique point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was cool. Museums came in with a design problem and we'd split up into teams to solve it. So, for example, the Met Museum has a large collection and people check it off their bucket list, but they never intend to return. And I mean, I know because now they can't really return. But theoretically, how do we get people to return physically and digitally? And and uh, I loved thinking about this problem. And I landed on what if we made a Chrome extension because people uh, hoard their tabs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how many tabs do you have open right now? I have like five. Of always at least five. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so for every tab that you open, if you have this extension, it shows you uh, a cat from the Met Museum's collection. <laughs> and so you're exploring art, but also like this passive thing that you do all the time. Uh, but those are the kinds of problems that I like to think through. And art installation and digital UX were now a new lens for me to apply to both a day job and in event catering. And that's kind of how my catering uh, perspective sort of opened up. It sort of blossomed into something new uh, because I thought catering was just, I'm going to provide this platter for you. But it became more of a production thing for me uh, of uh, the little minutia of the colors and uh, the flow of the event and and just like people experience. And so that was incredibly amazing and, and valuable for me. Uh, and so I loved the idea of artist residencies, and that's how I, I joined Taste and was speaking to Anna and Matt about it. And then after I quit my job, my first step out the door was another residency at Kickstarter, uh, which is a place where I've, I've funded a few of my stranger ideas. <laughs> I have, I have um, hosted parties where the goal was to collectively create um uh, pornographic food videos. Well, <laughs> not ex- incredibly explicit, but um, more like popping a hundred egg yolks in one day was a goal right. <laughs> or creating uh, as many kinds of nachos that we can create and then sort of looping all that footage together into something that we've made as, as a community. And mm-hmm. I love, I love uh, challenging what a party should be and uh, just cooking for people is, is ex- exciting for me. Uh, so I took, I took this crea- uh, creator's residency very seriously, but also spent that time figuring out what is freelance, what is an invoice, what is a budget, 
who is a mentor? I still don't know. Uh, but, you know, important lessons from that have been enforcing rest, creating boundaries, especially mm-hmm. when you head into a creative field, you have to have lots of boundaries. <laughs> and taking the time to figure that out was was life changing. But that's now why I sit squarely 100% in the food world. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of work. A lot of yeah, work. of course. Well, you know, how have you, I mean, you manage a lot of projects right now. I know you're working on a few cookbooks all at the same time. Um, you're, you're writing for outlets, you know, how have you kind of moved into that recipe uh, zone with, with cookbooks? That was part of, of the pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It, it started a long time ago. I, I'm, it was through cooking competitions, actually, where I've met a lot of the collaborators that you might recognize today, like uh, Emily Hanhan, Kathy Irway, and Nicole Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, who they've all joined these cooking competitions in Brooklyn and stood next to me trying to... Uh, to uh, not sell, but these were ticketed events where where pe- people in Brooklyn would uh, bring a pot of chili mm-hmm. and you could uh, serve them to hundreds of people and people would vote. And uh, there was a winner. And at first there was no prize or money involved, but it started to have a money prize. This series was called The Takedowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Timms organized all of it. Um, and he started to introduce other kinds of food. I got an email from a roommate saying, oh, you love cooking. Why don't you uh, try this? And so I did. And I got addicted to it. I love mm-hmm. uh, competition. But it, most of all, I love the community of it because there, there's so many quirky people that enter competitions. Uh-huh. <laughs> As reality television can show us, there are a lot of personalities out there um, and a lot of really great ideas. Uh, but, uh, I met Nicole Taylor through that. And after she got her first, uh, book deal, we, she asked me to just test one recipe on her first cookbook, which was the up South cookbook. And, uh, I was getting into getting comfortable with food writing and, and writing my own recipes through the residency. And I just sort of put it out into the universe. I wrote up sort of my goals for this is at the same time as, as the artist residencies and figuring out my life. Uh, but I, I did the thing. I did the internet manifesting thing and yeah. told people uh, on LinkedIn. I hate, I hate LinkedIn, but I did it on LinkedIn, on Facebook, everywhere that I am present on the internet. Because as somebody who grew up on the internet, how, why would I not use it to to tell people what I need and want in life? Uh, and I, I was just putting it out there, you know, like if people don't know that I want to do these things, then no one's ever going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, Nicole was paying attention around that time when she was working on the last OG cookbook. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's how I joined that project. And I, I really enjoy the production process. It's very similar to making an album, except we have a longer table of contents and more editing passes and things like that. But it really spoke to uh, the iteration part of my brain from technology. Uh, mm-hmm. As you refine a product, you, you look at features that work and don't work and rely on community feedback and, and tasting to refine it. And 
And I, I really enjoyed that process. And so it wasn't necessarily a pivot pivot mm-hmm. <laughs> when the pandemic started, but more of a weight shift. I'm shifting my weight to another foot. And hopefully I can come back to catering. But um, very, very lucky to know Nicole and to, to work with her and, and flesh out these ideas. Uh, but yeah, it is more weighted in the direction of freelance and writing these days than events. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm glad I got my, my shot and <laughs> hopefully going to get there, get the second one in a couple of weeks. <laughs> right. I mean, well, you know, you do in your catering like such wildly unique events like the mm-hmm. weddings that you do. And um, I know you've talked about like you've just said that it, it, it comes from that same sort of problem solving. But, you know, what is your process when you are doing an event like that? You know, what where do you come from and what questions do you ask to determine how to kind of create such a you know, unique, um, approach. (laughs) Yeah. I joke that I'm the opposite of Franck from Father of the Bride. Um, (laughs) He has this big ass binder with all the prices listed out and just these nineties printouts. I I look at that YouTube clip a lot. Whenever I'm feeling down about catering, (laughs) I look at that because my method is way more flexible and unsustainable. You know, I, (laughs) I love that it's unsustainable. I can't create inventory or consistent recipes if every menu is different. Mm -hmm. And I find that really exciting. That's where my online handle comes from. Randwiches, random sandwich, (laughs) random sandwiches. I don't like personally, I don't like eating or making the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. uh, But I know that's necessary for for creating and finalizing something as I've learned through the years. Mm -hmm. But I used to have a random sandwich delivery service in New York. And and that's how I built my internet following. I I love that project, but you know, it is unsustainable. There is, it is just me delivering sandwiches on foot all over New York City and it gets tiring. Uh, And that sort of inspired me to look into actual catering. Mm -hmm. But so when when it came to weddings, uh, it started with friends, uh, friends right. friends that I knew that I couldn't really mess up with them. Like anything I did, I was an angel. <laughs> uh, but before the pandemic, I'd ask to meet up with a couple at a bar or a restaurant, and I'd go through a journalistic battery of the venue, the vibe, and their story. And I'd ask them questions like, uh, what foods did you have on your first dates? Do you remember that? Uh, what do you cook together now uh, on a normal day or on a special day? Is there something you make when you feel bad? Are there any family favorite dishes? Uh, are there any favorite restaurants? Uh, the big question of dietary restrictions, <laughs> allergies, <laughs> yeah. and picky family members, because sometimes that can create a little bit of stress. Um, and pie in the sky ideas. I love mm-hmm. entertaining the pie in the sky ideas because I treat it like a design brief mixed with a band's backstage writer list. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start throwing out the big ideas that we can anchor a menu on and then bring it down to earth as we reconcile <laughs> the cost in the venue. <laughs> and we visit that venue and ask all the questions and make sure that we can do it. Mm-hmm. I have a bleeding heart for smaller budgets and a little bit more of a, a DIY hybrid. So if you're not, if you're looking for like a package you just point at, I'm not the person you should be working with. I'm, <laughs> I'm 
way more collaborative. I'm not going to turn away mom's dilly beans that she pickled for you over the course of the whole summer. Um, I'm going to encourage grandpa to go catch all the salmon for the reception. And those are the real things that have happened uh, because I'm open to it as a chef. Like I have no ego about oh, this is my menu and you should choose it. Right. Uh, it's more about the story you are trying to tell. And I find that so, so exciting because I, I want to be able to help you tell it. Right. And it's interesting because so much of cooking and, and being a chef is understood as a very ego-driven um, <laughs> thing. And, you know, how how do you kind of see your role then as a cook, you know, if, if it's not about your ego? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm a conduit, like, <laughs> absolutely a conduit, right. or I'm sh- uh, shepherding in some way uh, the, the feelings that you are, are having that day, and, and it should come out as joy in the food, and I, I want to celebrate that as much as possible, like, obviously, I love a good party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my entrance into cooking for others has been dinner parties through and through this whole time, and now weddings are just, weddings or even offices or whatever it is that you're celebrating, celebration has always been the center of everything that I do, uh, mostly because it comes from my family. I have a huge-ass family, mm-hmm. and any excuse to gather is is something that that I I didn't realize that I valued up until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like currently processing as, as we speak. Uh, but I have a lot of cousins. Every graduation, every tooth, every step, every everything has always been a reason to cook something. Mm-hmm. And and my family has always been part of that. And I live across the country from them, uh, so now it's it's changed into. All of their their cooking endeavors, they'll tag me because they know that I'm a chef now. Right. <laughs> they want to show it off, and I love that. And it sort of bled into another thing that I've done. An- another new thing that I've done during the pandemic has been uh, live streaming on Twitch, mm-hmm. which is uh, typically a video game. Uh, a video game streaming platform, but uh, there was a whole division of people who who now uh, cook or talk about food. And I I started a little talk show uh, called Attack the Pantry, and it is geared toward a one hundred and one <laughs> community of cooks who 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 are a little scared of it. And I I love deep diving into ingredients and and talking about their potential, and and we sort of ripped off the idea of chopped where we where we ask the audience to give us some ingredients and then we pretend that that's our basket and and sort of mentally prepare ourselves for what what could we do with that right and i i enjoy it very much it's a favorite segment of the show <laughs> <laughs> and you know your own cookbook you've only done one of your own cookbooks right mm-hmm. yeah uh showdown it's about the cooking contest which you mentioned earlier but what was it about the the cooking contest that you liked, and what what made you want to create a book out of the experience? Oh man, I was addicted to the <laughs> thrill of competition. The, I, the some of the prizes were hilarious, like <laughs> like uh, a year's supply of bacon is very vague, but I'm here to pop the bubble that it's not as you expect a pallet of bacon arriving at your front door. It is not, it is coupons 
people. It's coupons. But <laughs> but it was exciting to to thirst for those things. And I I became friends with a lot of the competitors, like I mentioned earlier. And I I treated it like it was my culinary school because I didn't like culinary school. I did not like the brigade to uh, graduating to a line cook in some restaurant where it's not my food. Uh, I didn't want to be an executive chef somewhere. I wanted to create, create, create. And iterating through competition was something that helped me learn about recipe development. Because if I never wrote it down, I couldn't do it again or fix it. So I started to take notes and create all of these these huge tomes of, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> and I would go through a, a testing uh, regimen uh, uh, for each recipe. And I remember there's this photo I took a long time ago of, of eight meatball sauces that, that we were trying out. Like, oh, is ginger work here? Is Parmesan rind work here? Does, how much spice do we need? And I, I don't really talk about it, but I was, I started as a biology major and I had this this sort of mental breakdown in a laboratory where uh, <laughs> we were learning about titration, and titration is where you are you have two long pipettes that drop single drops into a beaker, and it was driving me insane. <laughs> you, right. you drop one drop and then write it down. A hundred drops later, I'm staring at it like, why haven't you changed? <laughs> I want to just pour the whole thing in. And with cooking, I, I still get my my little uh, obsessive uh, research mode, but also I can pour whole things in there and be like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, after a long time of competing and writing the recipes down, I I thought about like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. Like I had this checklist when I was little, write a book, go to the Olympics, make a film. I, <laughs> I wanted to do every single large thing there was, like write an album. And I can, I can safely say that, yes, I have written an album and yes, I have now written a book and now I'm going after other things, uh, but still sitting in, <laughs> in, in the food world. Uh, but yeah, so all this competition helped me hone the skills. It took me about eight years to actually win anything. I, I, I kept at it. And and along the way, I kept winning um, wonderful kitchen prizes. So this is why I have expensive Le Creuset. Like, I could never <laughs> afford $300 Dutch ovens. No way. I, I mooned about it. I dreamed <laughs> about it. But I never imagined that I would buy them. So through competition is how I outfitted the rest of my kitchen, uh, which I don't think is possible so much anymore in Brooklyn because it, it's it's not an active series anymore. But Instagram definitely still has contests that I've I've won a few a few items <laughs> <laughs> um, through through photo styling contests, and that's sort of also where I developed that skill. And and when you work on a cookbook, you under you realize that all of these jobs are specialized and they're different people. But because my my cookbook was a little more um uh bootstrapped, I hate using that word. That's, that's <laughs> the tech word. But because I had a smaller budget, uh I sort of was a lot of those things. I I styled my own book, I developed my own book. 
and I'm starting to understand the value of that. And, and now I can, I can offer that to other, other authors and, and work with them on it. Uh, so that's, that's been exciting. I, yeah, I just wanted to document that period of time. And I'm really glad I did because it, it's not happening anymore or won't come back for, for a while. I don't think, uh, but if I may brag, I have a, <laughs> I have a seven foot trophy in my house. Wow. From a from a barbecue competition, and that was a different series uh, that was really eye opening for me. I I didn't know anything about barbecue or the history of it, and my very presence there was was powerful. I think looking back on it, I'm a, I'm a short Asian American woman standing in front of a fire, burning herself, <laughs> like wow. <laughs> but. Uh, making my place there was interesting. Uh, I have a, a small title, a small bestowed title of grill master. And when you Google grill master, uh, it's a lot of larger men <laughs> in the South scattered among the South. Uh, I'm, I'm a Northern Knight <laughs> and not a lot of them are women or, or tiny, tiny Asian women at that. And so I, I love that I am contributing to to the fabric of it and and trying to to break down what it is to be a person at a grill. Right. And I I like that that's that book has sort of cemented it or or at least held my place in 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 that uh, atmosphere. Right, right. And you know, for you is cooking a political act? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I may not be <laughs> outward about it on on social but i think seizing creative control and shaping a career that doesn't follow that that typical path um is 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 a statement and i think mm -hmm. the wedding and event industry can be very mechanical and focused on a capitalistic bottom line and while i uh, i'm engaged with capitalism on many different levels of course uh, <laughs> i'm sure you have that sickly exhale every now of and course, then yes. um but I, it, what's important to me or what's become important to me is creating safe work environments and events and and leadership like my leadership is not top down it's it's very sideways um i learned this from from both technology and and a family member who has a restaurant like i i prefer to go sideways than up and down uh, I'm very open to collaboration and, and to ideas for improvement and efficiency and above all, just learning. Like I'm constantly learning. That is that is the perspective that I always will have and hold on to. And the people that I work with will always have something to teach me. That's so exciting. And so this this aunt or great aunt who lives in Bacolod, which is a tiny, tiny island in the Philippines, she runs a restaurant called Melly's Garden. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, what happens when someone is sick? She says that everyone knows every station and recipe so anyone can step in. And none of the recipes are gate-kept in someone's brain. It's not in some secret room, made away, whatever. When you're sick, you stay home. And that kind of care regarding labor and well-being really stuck with me. And so I, I sort of build that into the relationships and events that I do. And like I said earlier, um, injecting my stories into barbecue and into the fabric of barbecue is political and powerful. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to change the face of what American barbecue can be 
and what a girl master looks like. That's very thrilling. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, my, my politics are, are, are tiny, but I feel uh, make progress in, in a very empathetic way, a very mm-hmm. community oriented way. And it, 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 I don't know, it makes me so happy to, to mm-hmm. be able to relate to people on that level and, and to, to give them that kind of safeguard um, that they want. <laughs> I am not some kind of predator that's <laughs> going to, <laughs> to you know, uh, leave you destitute because that's, that's what's happened to me. And I, I would hate for that to happen to anybody I worked with. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank mm-hmm. you so much. You are so welcome. Thank <laughs> you.